Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Indeed, today is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice. We are glad in it, even in the midst of many things in our own lives, in the lives of our neighbors across the country and around the world, um, to which we need to bow the knee and our heads and ask God to intervene. And so we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And we are a people of prayer. And so I wanted to have uh, another conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer. She and I are going to talk about um, a number of not only opportunities to pray, but the very call to prayer. And as we approach the anniversary of September 11th, she and I are going to talk specifically about what it means to remember and never forget and to be honest in our prayer life um, in terms of how hard things have been and to put our hope in Jesus Christ and what it looks like to not only be in prayer ourselves, but to walk in prayer with others. So we're also going to talk about an upcoming Renew and Rebirth Prayer Summit, Psalm 71 Prayer Summit, uh, the end of October in Eden Prairie. Um, And I think I'm going to ask her as well about this student-led prayer response to the mass shooting in Odessa, Texas. So all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'll be joined by Kathy Branzell. Joining me now, Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer. You can follow them on Twitter at NATL, that's for national, NATL Prayer. And you can also check out what they're doing at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, my friend, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back with you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. So let's start with um, uh, this response of these students in Odessa, mm-hmm. Texas, um, yeah. who instead of rallying in some other way, they rallied to prayer. Tell tell people what um, what these students did and how they responded to the mass shooting in their town. You know, it's it's such a beautiful and healthy way to respond in tragedy. I love that these students, instead of completely falling apart, just kind of fell into the arms of Jesus with faith and um, got together, prayed, and then started uh, coming up with ideas of how to raise money for the victims and their families. It was, uh, okay, what the enemy has uh, come at us with, what the enemy meant to hurt us with, we're going to turn into a God-glorifying moment where our peace and our faith walks out. So, you know, we, we've talked a, a bunch of times, Carmen, about how we live a prayer care share lifestyle. And they got together and they prayed, and now they're out there caring and sharing what it means to be a Christ follower with love. I I, I appreciate that, um, you know, this time of year in Texas, like high school football is big. It's big. I mean, yep. you know, we've... And, 
Um, and these are kids who would have met on Friday night, um, you know, on opposite sides of a football field, mm-hmm. screaming and yelling at each other, you know, right, like advocating that, you know, the other team be be trampled under underfoot. And exactly. instead, you know, kids from more than, you know, it's kids from 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 more than one high school, actually from, you know, competing high schools, um, right. join together in prayer, hand in hand. Um, it, there's a unifying power to tragedy. Um, and this is my segue to a conversation about the unifying power we all experienced in uh, in the immediate aftermath. And then, you know, for a long time in the aftermath of the events of September 11, 2001. So I would, um, let's go back to that day. We are quickly approaching the anniversary of 9-11. And so in anticipation mm-hmm. of that, I was hoping that you could equip us in in some remembering and the power of remembering and then what use that is in terms of our own personal prayer and our corporate prayer. Right. And you read in Scripture, uh, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, you know, we're told to remember, remember the faithfulness of God, remember what He has done, remember what's happened, and then remember how He carried you through it. Remember the lessons that you learned in that. Remember the love that carried you through. He's the God of hope, and He fills you with joy and peace, um, even in the midst of the worst tragedy. Um, and it's important um, for us to remember 9-11, not in fear, but we need to remember those whose lives were lost. Uh, it, it, anybody listening who has lost a family member, who's lost a child, who's lost a, 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 anybody in their family, they don't want that person to be forgotten. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, we hear back from people who are grieving. It feels like the whole world's just gone on with their lives and they've forgotten, you know, my child, my husband, my, you know, whoever it is. And so what I, what, what my prayer is for 9-11, and we actually have a, a partnering ministry. You can go to cryoutamerica.org and you can get a seven-day prayer guide that we've put together with Intercessors for America uh, so that people can remember and can repent and can pray um, into something. We turn it into a, uh, we take a tragedy and we turn it into something good, um, not forgetting the pain of that day. And so remember what the Lord has done. Remember his faithfulness and then talk to people about it. And there's a hope and a joy and a peace a security, a courage, boldness that builds up in you when you remember his faithfulness and that's what you're focused on and that's what you're praying about. I love this. Um, I love this image of love not forgetting. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, you've done a lot of, I mean, some of the things people don't know about you is that you're actually like a, a brain fanatic and you... <laughs> You have studied the human brain, like how the brain works and why it works the way it works and and the intersection of the brain and our faith. Um, So when we think about memories, I have like memories. I had a flash of this like flashback memory today as I was reading that, um, you know, the the Shin Kotig ponies are in the direct path of Hurricane Dorian and my heart 
like mm-hmm. return to the time when I was a child and I read Misty of Shinkoteague and I and I am like Aww. transported back in time to like the first book right. that I ever recall actually reading, right? And right. for myself, by myself. And so we have these moments where we're literally like transported back in time. Talk about mm-hmm. that and the power of that in terms of our faith experience. Yeah. And and even so connect this even with the story we just talked about with the students in Odessa. And so what you choose to focus on um, then turns into a meditation. And so think of meditation as what keeps rolling around in your brain. It's almost on loop. And so if um, something great happens and you just keep thinking on that and you keep thinking, you're like, what a great day because this happened, this happened, this happened, and you keep thinking on it, or sadly the opposite. Uh, Somebody makes you mad. Somebody offends you. Something horrible happens and you just keep playing it in a loop in your head and you have conversations about it that, um, you know, probably never, ever take place. But whatever you're meditating on, that creates the chemical makeup in your body. You know, you've got adrenaline going, you've got epinephrine going, you've got whatever it is based on the emotions uh, that are responding to your thoughts. And also we have to remember what comes out of our mouth started in our heart from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in that, um, you really are setting the course for life or death um, in your body. Are you are you adding life to yourself by the things that you're thinking on and always in thinking about Christ and thinking about our security in him? It's not that we're uh, Pollyanna. It's not that we're disregarding uh, the, the current dangers of the world we live in. It's that we're choosing to focus on God and his goodness. You know, when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, God said, okay, I'll show you my goodness. And so every moment of every day, we, we have the opportunity to decide what we're going to think on. And when we think about what, on, you know, what is noble, what is perfect, what is all the, the things we should be thinking on, we're actually adding life. And what those students did is they decided instead of focusing on death, they were going to focus on life. They were going to focus on love. And, you know, I think about them. We have this opportunity. You know, I live in the land of SEC football, and we always joke that Sunday morning is is uh, proof of Jesus's love because we scream and yell and 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 go at it as rivals in football on Saturday, and we love one another again on Sunday. And so you go, can choose to go with anything that's ever happened in your life. Anytime you've been hurt or offended, you can go from rival to revival just with your thoughts. You've got to be refreshed in the Lord, refreshed in Scripture, and decide that's what I'm going to think about not the negative. All right. I, I love that. And so maybe as we go to a break, let's just remind people of Philippians 4, 8, as we're encouraging you to dwell on certain things. So finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything of excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let these be the things that we focus on and meditate on Uh, in order that these become the loop in our heart and in our head. All right, I'm going to return to my conversation with Kathy Branzell in just a moment. We'll be right back.
want to come back um, to my conversation with Kathy Branzell from National Day of Prayer. You guys can uh, check out what they are doing at nationaldayofprayer.org. When you go there right now, one of the things that you are going to see is this Revive and Refresh Psalm 71 Prayer Summit that's taking place October 27 to 29 at Grace Church in Eden Prairie. Um, and Psalm 71, let's, let's turn there first, Kathy. Um, when you, when you lift up Psalm 71 as, um, as the rallying cry of a prayer summit, um, talk with us about, you know, what, what is it about that Psalm? I mean, it's long, so like I'm tempted to read the whole thing, but my guess is there are a few verses that you're really focusing in on. Uh, you know, and it's interesting. It it leads right into the conversation we were just having. And so uh, starting with verse 17, it says, you know, oh, my God, from my youth, you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to the old age um, and my gray hairs, oh, God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. And and it goes on then to talk about um, uh, you who have made me to see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth and you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And we just know that um, in life we face troubles, uh, that we, we have choices every day. Um, and our, our, 70, our uh, Psalm 71 summit is for anyone. Uh, it's, it's for our prayer coordinators for National Day of Prayer, but it's also for people there in the Minneapolis area or beyond who just want to come and be revived and refreshed in prayer and then to know how to go back to their communities and be prayer warriors and prayer spreaders. Uh, you know, to, to, we exist to mobilize unified public prayer for America. That's National Day of Prayer. And our heartbeat is for spiritual awakening and revival to happen in America. And so this is a chance for people to come together and to first in themselves with our Lord, be refreshed and be revived from whatever is going on in their life, whatever has been hurting, whatever is tired, and to come to him, all who are weary, so that he will give them rest and then go back out in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be fruitful in their community. When we talk about prayer, um, we, we've actually spent several several weeks in in the summer in the congregation where I worship um, on the topic of prayer, on the subject of prayer. And my pastor has said over and over again, I'm really not interested in us having a season of prayer. I'm not interested in us having you know, a, a prayer emphasis for a day. He's like, I mean, we're certainly going to do that. And we, and we do that, but he's, he's just, his heart has just been so turned in the direction of, we need to just become a people of prayer. We need to become yes, a praying it's a, people. It's a life. Yes. It is a, it is a life. Yes. It is a life and it is life. Like if you're yes. praying, if you are in this attitude and spirit that, okay, by, by the act of Jesus Christ upon the cross and by the application of that to my own life, that curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom. Like I, the yep. way is open for me to enter in to the very presence of the living God. And I don't do so by my own merit. And I recognize that I'm a sinner, but I am a sinner covered in Christ. And so right. I can enter in crying, Abba, Father. I can present my concerns before God. I can pray with others in the spirit. And 
Um, and I can beseech the Father to bring his power mm-hmm. to bear on things and circumstances over which I have absolutely no control or influence other than to pray. And right. so I just, um, I think that if we could ignite a, if we could ignite prayer in the hearts of Christians, um, then we would begin seeing evidence that God is present and active and intervening and performing miracles. And I think the reason we don't see it is, first of all, we're not looking for it. Um, we give credit to science or other things. Um, and and we're not asking for it. Right, right. And, and the thing, you know, my response to your pastor would be, um, because his heart is right, but going back to the psychology of it, you have to build a habit. You don't just all of a sudden do something all day, every day that you didn't start by doing one day. Mm, and so nice. and so you build that in that one day. If you just said, you know what, today I am going to pray for 15 minutes. And then tomorrow you say, I'm going to take the, you know, and you build it and you then you build a season of prayer. Um, it, whatever you do over and over and over again, then becomes a track in your brain, a highway in your brain. And it's your go to so that in a day of prayer becomes a week of prayer, becomes a season of prayer, becomes a lifestyle of prayer. But you have to build that habit up. It has to become a part of who you are. And we make choices every day of what we're going to do with our time and our mind. And so prayer is the best thing we can be doing. You know, the scripture says pray continually. And uh, you're like, well, I can't sit in a closet all day or sit in my comfy chair all day and pray. But no, you just do it just like Jesus did every day along the way, wherever he was, he prayed, he loved people, and he shared the kingdom message. Everywhere we go, where we live, where we play, where we learn, um, where we work, is an opportunity for us to pray, to love people, and to share our testimony about who God is in our life and why we love him so much. So in the, uh, in the minute we have left, um, Kathy, why don't you lead us in prayer? I would love to. So, Lord God, we uh, praise you because you are faithful, you are holy, you are a redeemer, you are righteous, you are our helper, you're our creator. And so we respond to you in prayer and praise. We will praise you with music. We will sing to you. We will have a song in our heart. We will shout for joy. We will choose to think on you. You are excellent. You are our love. And so, Lord, fill us with your love. Let us live fruitful lives through your Holy Spirit. You are our hope. Give us joy. Give us peace so that we can overflow that into everywhere we go, that we would bring faith into every situation. Lord, revive and refresh us. You are our God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. We'll be right back. Thank you. Okay, so what are the essential words, Arabic words? What are the essential Arabic words that you and I need to know if we are interested in engaging neighbors who um, come from Muslim backgrounds, maybe who are uh, who are practicing the faith of Islam? What are the essential words that we need to know um, in order to engage in meaningful conversation? I am going to have that. I'm going to I'm going to let 
Audrey Frank. She's been on before. Um, her book is Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. And she's back here today to um, to teach me the essential Arabic that we need to know in order to engage our neighbors. So uh, you need this. I need this. And for those of you who know how phonetically challenged I am, I know this might sadly be partially like a humor segment, but that's not my intent. My intent is for us to actually learn the words we need to know and have ears that hear in order that we can engage with our Muslim neighbors um, in meaningful conversation. So next up, Audrey Frank from Covered Glory. Are you the mother or father of a struggling son or daughter? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most teenage problems are caused by hormones, immaturity, and brain development. So if your son or daughter is going through a rough time, here's some good news. It's just a phase, and it won't last forever. In the midst of the turmoil, continue to reach toward your teen with love and grace, even when they don't deserve it. And over time, your relationship will change for the better. Remember, God never gives up on us, even though we constantly blow it. Instead, He gives us grace. As parents, we must be willing to do the same. Mom, Dad, make it crystal clear to your team. I will never, ever give up on you, no matter what. Find books and other resources online at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. That's ParentingTodaysTeens.org. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. So returning uh, for another conversation today, Audrey Frank. She's an author, a speaker, a storyteller. She and her family spent more than 20 years living and working among Muslim cultures uh, worldwide. She found God's story of redemption spans every geography and every culture. Her latest book is Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. Uh, We have talked about the book prior, and today I've invited her back to talk about the glossary of terms, which begins on page 17 of the book. So you could think of this as Audrey teaching Carmen essential Arabic on air. Audrey, welcome back. Pleasure to be with you again. (laughs) Now, you don't know this about me, but um, I really am not a very good linguist. I speak English with some proficiency, but I really have a difficult time speaking other languages. And so I just confess that in advance. And so I will probably avoid saying the words and I will let you (laughs) say the words so that we say them accurately and correctly. Um, But I I found the whole idea of the inclusion of a glossary of terms at the front of the book really, first of all, wise. And it's amazing how much you can learn about a culture simply by reading a list of words and their definitions. So let's talk first about why there's a glossary of terms at the beginning of Covered Glory. Well, I'm a linguist at heart, and it's really important to me that people understand what we're talking about. So, of course, I had to include a glossary of terms. It would be unfair to use words from another language and not explain what they meant to the reader. So I wanted us to have a clear picture of what I was talking about. And these words are important. God created the world with words after all. So they have a lot of power. 
And remind people, so because there's a reason that the words that are, I mean, obviously, it's not a comprehensive dictionary of Arabic. It's a, you know, it's a couple of pages of of terms that are essential to understanding the story in the book. So remind people what Covered Glory is about, because then I'm going to ask a question about six related terms on the list. Okay. Covered Glory is about the Islamic worldview of honor and shame and how when we understand the gospel through the lenses of honor and shame, we begin to realize that not only through the gospel are we forgiven of our sins, our shame is also removed and we're given honor instead. And that is what the book is about, particularly the journey of many brave women from shame to honor as they've encountered Christ. So as I was reading the glossary of terms, um, to my count, there are six different terms that are related to articles of women's clothing. That's the way I will describe it. Okay. Um, the, 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 the very first one is the first on the list. And so I'm going to let you say that one. I can say the second one, I think, which is burqa. I think I can Good. say the third one, Good which job. is hijab. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is abaya. Abaya. <laughs> Okay, so mm-hmm. let's just talk about those three, and then we'll talk about the next three. So we have abaya, burqa, and hijab. These are yes. all three articles of women's clothing that I, yes. I that are different than one another. So let's talk about what they are, and then why does it matter that I know the difference? Well, I think it matters that we know the difference just so we can better understand Muslim women, and, and the way they dress is one of the icons of of Islam in the United States. When we think of Islam, we think of the woman who is covered in some way. And I'm afraid that creates a stereotype and hides the real woman and who she is beneath. So let's talk about the abaya first. An abaya is, as I give this definition here, a full-length robe-like outer garment worn by some Muslim women. So you may see a woman just with something that appears to be an ornate, maybe it's embroidered, sort of a robe that she's wearing, and she may or may not have a scarf over her hair. And this is the abaya. Typically, where I used to live in the Arab world, we were wearing pajamas under that, which is actually really funny. Um, you, My friends were proud of me when the first time I walked across town with my pajamas on under my abaya. Um, The second one you mentioned is the burqa. Now, this is the most concealing. It is the one we see, um, for example, in Afghanistan. Many people are aware of the blue burqas. These cover, it is a one-piece veil that covers the body and the face. Sometimes there's a mesh screen women can peer through, but this is the most covering. This is the burqa. The, The hijab, though, Um, This is the head covering itself. The hijab is the head covering worn in public by some Muslim women. And even with the hijab, there are various degrees of conservatism with the hijab. Um, Some women may only wear a scarf loosely around their hair. This is the least conservative form of hijab. But some women who are extremely more conservative and want to want to communicate that they are very modest. They may even have a band around their hair that can, keeps any strand of hair from coming out, but then they have the the hijab, which is the scarf going over the top of that as well. And a woman's, the appearance of her hair can tell you a lot about the measure of conservancy in her. Okay, and then um, if we turn the page again, we're reading. We're reading from the glossary of terms in Covered Glory. 
Um, Audrey Frank is the author, and she is here. And I'm just calling this essential Arabic uh, in order for us to engage in conversations with our Muslim neighbors and understand them as we encounter them in our communities today. So I'm not going to try pronouncing any of these, but there are three um, article of clothing related terms on uh, on the glossary on page 18. Tell us what those are. Well, the first one is a word that not many people will know because it's a vernacular word in a dialect in East Africa, but it's called a leso. And a leso is like a big sheet. It has multi-purposes, but it's worn over one skirt by women in some parts of East Africa and both in Muslim and non-Muslim tribes. And this can be used to carry your baby. This can be used to wrap mm. around your head. It can be used to go over your skirt, but there is always an article of clothing underneath it if you wear it around your waist. Um, okay, I, I might may... own I might own one of those. You sure because might. I, I feel like when when I have traveled to Africa, that is basically what we put on over whatever else we're wearing to mm-hmm. sort of guarantee that we are culturally appropriate. That's right. That's right. Because I don't really have to think about whether colorful. or not. Yeah, very colorful. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Well, then I know what a lasso is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. And what's the next one? The next one is mehfa. And this one is very, it's, it's rectangular. It's much, much, much bigger than a leso. The leso might go just around your waist or around your head, but the mehfa, it's, it's worn to wrap the entire head and the body. So it's almost like wearing a bed sheet. That's how large it is. It's wrapped around the body and forms almost something like a dress. Part of it will be over the head and the shoulders. We see these in the Sahrawi people, um, we see these. We see many um, more more desert tribes wearing these, especially in in parts of North Africa. Well, and I imagine that it's protective. I I also imagine, and we'll get to this conversation after you talk about the last term. Um, but I want to have a conversation about how hot all of this is. So let's do the last term, and then we have to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about how hot all these all these articles of clothing are. <laughs> yes. I'm assuming next you're talking about the niqab. And yes, this is I am. Yes. I'm talking about the niqab. Good for you. Good for you. There's a qaf in Arabic that's deep down in the throat. And this is using that particular sound, the niqab. And this is a veil that covers the lower face, allowing the eyes to be visible. So my children used to call them robbers when they would see them. Their aunties would wear the niqab and my sons would say, oh, she's a robber, bang, bang, because um, they played cops and robbers at home. And this covered just the lower part of the face, kind of like a cowboy used to cover the lower part of his face with a bandana, at least through the eyes of a four-year-old. I'm going to write bandana next to that one. <laughs> well, <All right. laughs> remember so it's the eyes of a four-year-old boy. <laughs> well, I know, but like I am, I might be that in my mind. Okay, so um, we're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. And Audrey Frank is going to answer one of the questions that plagues me. How hot is all of this um, to wear? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So we're talking with Audrey Frank. She is, among other things, the author of Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. We have talked here on the program before about the book specifically. And today 
I have um, I'm asking specific questions about a glossary that is included toward the front of the book um, that helps us understand the culture of Islam, the the Muslim culture, by teaching us some words that we're going to need to understand our neighbors. And in order to really read the book and understand it, you need the glossary. And so it's a really helpful place to start. We have talked about six uh, terms in the glossary that are related to articles of clothing that you might see women um, from uh, a Muslim background or uh, who are practitioners of Islam. You might see them wearing these. You might also see other people wearing these just because they're from this part of the world. And there's a reason that people cover themselves when they live in uh, desert climates. And it's because... Um, frankly, sand and hot sand is piercing to the skin. And so there's a there's a protection issue here um, simply for the human skin. So talk with us, Audrey, about what it feels like to wear some of these things. I think we imagine, uh, particularly, let's say, if we see women on the beach who are uh, covered from head to toe, we imagine that 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 is very hot. Is it? It's not as hot as one would think. And your body does adjust after living in that culture for many, many years, I adjusted to it. In fact, now that when now I live in the United States, but I still tend to wear more clothing than the people around me. It, it, your body adjusts and it changes, but it actually creates protection from the heat, not just from the elements like the sand. It protects you from sunburn. And yes, it is sometimes cruelly hot. Um, It can be very humid, but a lot of these areas of the world um, are not as humid as here in the United States. Sometimes we might we might see a Muslim woman at an amusement park with her family in the southern United States where it's extremely humid. And I know that she is just burning up, Mm. Um, but she's been doing this for so long that she's used to it. And modesty is more important to her than than being cool. And there are ways to cool down. Um, one way that we used to do a lot, we would have washcloths that we would soak in water and we would roll them up and put them in the refrigerator. And when we would come in or when our guests would come in and their burqas or hijab, we would give them one of these washcloths and they would um, cool their faces and their neck with them. So there are all kinds of tricks that we would, that we would use to cool ourselves down. It's not as hot as you think, though. So, Audrey, you should um, you should write down what you just said, because you should coin the phrase modesty is more important than being cool, because that's not just about <laughs> climate. That's about culture. Modesty is. is more important than being cool. All right. Well, there you go. I'm not sure that cool is a language that kids know today, but <clears throat> we could we could trot it back out. OK, so in this glossary, there are um, a number of things I think that would be surprising to people and. Um, maybe one of them is that in Islam, there are 99 names of God. Um, and you <laughs> list one of those in here, and it's not Allah, which is the name we sort of all think we know. So God has 99 names in Islam. God has actually hundreds of names uh, in the Bible. And so this shouldn't surprise anyone that uh, that people have multiple references uh, of ways of referring to to God. Tell us what this one is and why you listed it. This is my favorite name of God in Islam. It's Al-Wadud. And it means the loving, the kind one. But what the kindness really means in Arabic here is 
love that is demonstrated by actions. And that's what kindness is. It's love demonstrated by action. And this is such a great springboard into sharing with our Muslim friends that, yes, we agree with you. He is al-Wadud. He is the loving and the kind one. And he demonstrated his love through the action of sending a rescuer, a Messiah, who has abolished our shame and given us honor instead. This Messiah has secured our position of honor before God, forever guaranteed. Um, There are some terms on this list that um, were new to me and surprising. Um, I'm sure I will mispronounce it. Muta? Oh, yes. What what is Muta? Tell us what Mm -hmm. Muta is, because that sounds ridiculous. Well, it it does sound ridiculous to Western ears, but imagine that you are, well, first of all, let's define it. Muta is a private and verbal temporary marriage contract for the purpose of pleasure. This might sound ridiculous to us in the West, but in an honor-shame culture where it is shameful to have intercourse outside of marriage, um, they came up with another way to to do this and keep it within the the law. And this allows a woman to say, no, I had a contract. I had a legal arrangement with this man. I did not do this shamefully outside of a contract. Because in, in Islam, we have to remember marriage is a contract. It's not a covenant before God as it is in Christian marriages. So this is essentially a temporary marriage that allows a man and a woman to have intercourse, and then it can be broken at the end, and often the woman receives some kind of compensation. And to our guilt, innocence, right, wrong worldview in the West, this sounds atrocious and outrageous, actually. And yet I would like it unto um, sort of the practice of serial monogamy, uh, which people, you know, do in sort of the hookup culture in the U.S. today. All right, we have time for one more word. I'm going to choose the word, and again, forgive me if I mispronounce it, sabaya. Sabaya, yes, sabaya. This is a tragic word. Um, this word is, it describes young women captured in war by the enemy. And in recent times, we've heard much about this through ISIS and um, the capture of young women who were forced to become sex slaves. Islamic extremists have brought this word back to back to our attention, and it's an old word, and it's a sad and tragic word to describe such women. Audrey, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can people find you and find out more, not only about Covered Glory, but about um, this whole honor-shame conversation that we're having today? You can visit me on www.audreyfrank.com or thetruthcollective.org. Thetruthcollective.org or audreyfrank.com. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us again today and teaching us some essential Arabic in order that we can be prepared for conversations. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Okay, some of you have reached out and asked, um, what are my social media follows? So I appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter at Carmen LaBerge. You can follow me on Facebook at Reconnect with Carmen, and that's also the website where you can find my blogs, reconnectwithcarmen.com. Have a great day. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.